This is The Forefront, an award-winning podcast that explores ideas for cities. I'm Amanda Capito. So here's the problem. Toronto is a busy place, and every year it gets busier. In fact, in 2019, the Centre for Urban Research and Land Development found that the Greater Toronto Area was the fastest-growing metropolitan area in Canada and the U.S., Plus, Ontario's Ministry of Finance believes that the population of Toronto will top 8 million within the next 10 years. All of those people need somewhere to live. Now, anyone who's been to Toronto knows that the city is packed with high-rise buildings filled with apartments of all shapes and sizes. But what many people don't realize is that there's an environmental impact to consider. In the GTA, housing and buildings account for 48% of our carbon footprint. It's, it's not just about the energy that we produce when we heat and cool buildings. It's about all of the energy that goes into the materials that we use, like concrete and steel. High-rise buildings have a huge embodied carbon footprint. That's Dr. Cheryl Atkinson. She's an architect and associate professor in the Department of Architectural Science. You have to burn stone, essentially, to make the Portland cement that you make concrete out of. You transport materials huge distances, so, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's really a lot of embodied energy we're recognizing that's just in the construction materials themselves. While on sabbatical in 2017, Cheryl began working on a project with local university students and the Endeavour Centre, which is a school in Peterborough, Ontario, that specializes in sustainable building. Their goal was to build a prototype of a house that was carbon neutral, but still beautiful. What we were trying to do was, yeah, do a demonstration home that was sustainable in a whole bunch of different ways, rather than just being about not being able to work off the grid or not consume uh, fossil fuel energy. It was designed to be holistically energy efficient and the kind of architecture that would make people happy in their daily lives with lots of daylight, all the good things that uh, make architecture thrive, make people thrive in, in good architecture. What they ended up with was a 1,100 square foot, two-story townhouse called a zero house, meaning zero net carbon emissions, zero energy use, zero toxic materials, and zero cost premium over a traditional house of a similar size. This kind of house is now a home to a self-described eco-maniac. Well, I, when I was 15 years old, which is a really long time ago, I worked in a grocery store and um, phosphates in laundry detergent were causing a lot of problems in the Great Lakes. That's Kim Harris. She says she's been passionate about the environment for most of her life. And the grocery store I worked in sold one phosphate-free detergent. And so every time I checked out somebody who wasn't buying it, I told them about it. (laughs) And I didn't convert that many people, but I'm always doing stuff like that. Um, I'm on the sustainability committee for the town I live in now, and... I've never used, taken a plastic bag at a grocery store. I've never had a throwaway plastic bottle of water. I've just made it a mission to not consume waste. 
In 2017, Kim went to the movies with her good friend, Cheryl Atkinson. Cheryl asked if she'd be interested in being the first person to live permanently in a zero house. Kim jumped at the chance. When I lived in a house in Toronto, it was quite large. And it makes me realize when we have large houses, we tend to fill them. And when we live in a small house, we don't need so much stuff. This house is over a thousand square feet and it's just the perfect size for one or two people. I live here by myself and I find I don't need any more space than what I have here. I just think we have a crisis in our planet right now and I don't see an, as much action as I would like to see in people personally or in our governments. And that's one thing I love about this house is it inspires people to do something about climate climate crisis. I don't even like to say climate change. I like to say climate crisis and not let anybody off the hook. Okay, so people can morally feel all warm and fuzzy about living in the home, but can it literally keep someone warm during our good old Canadian winters? Here's Cheryl. We stuff the walls with straw, which is a very cheap and um, readily grown uh, insulation material, again, with lots of air pockets naturally incorporated into it. So half the lower half of the, the house, the walls are full of straw bale, and the upper half is uh, recycled paper, cellulose blown into the walls. We used also triple glazing and fiberglass windows, which don't have any thermal bridging, which is they have a high, in, insulation value um, in the frame of the window, better than wood actually, and, and lower maintenance. And they're made of glass, which is an infinitely recyclable material. So the frame is fiberglass, which is made of an opaque glass, and then the, the windows are triple glazed, so they're super energy efficient too. On top of all that, Zero House uses something called integrated photovoltaics, which is a fancy way of saying solar panels. Cheryl's team uses a special photovoltaic membrane that sticks directly onto the metal siding of the house. We looked at some reports from some researchers who'd been looking at low altitude sun in Canada and we determined that we could generate enough energy from the roof of our upper unit to, to run it and half of the energy needs of the unit below. But if we put photovoltaics on the southern facade of the both buildings, then we could generate enough energy for for both units. So while the facade is less efficient in in a place like Canada with a lot of low angle sun in the winter, you do collect a, a significant amount of energy. But Cheryl's interest in the project wasn't only limited to its environmental sustainability. She also wanted to make sure that the team developed something that was urbanistically sustainable meaning that it's also good for the city. It was important to me that it was housing. It wasn't a single family home on a big lot. Um, it's designed to be infill housing. It's the, it's a, the upper, what we built is essentially a two story upper unit of a five story building, which would have been two stackable houses on top of each other with over retail. So the idea was it would be infilled into a, um, a site in Toronto on a on an existing arterial street so 
We're taking advantage of existing infrastructure, not building on greenfield sites, using existing transit systems, existing sewers and roads and schools and community centers and all of that. So it's uh, recycling this existing infrastructure. I think a lot of people don't realize that despite all the, um, the growth in Toronto and the high rises uh, exploding and popping up everywhere, uh, we're actually losing population in a lot of our inner city neighborhoods, the, the low rise inner, inner city neighborhoods, largely because of zoning regulations that don't allow for greater intensity. So, you know, people age, they move out of neighborhoods and we're actually losing population. Schools are closing in uh, a lot of these neighborhoods. So the idea was to reinvigorate them with this infill housing that's mid-rise. Cheryl says the Zero House is also socially sustainable. You know, you can walk up at either end of the building. There's a common corridor where you can bump into your your friends and uh, neighbors before you open your door. There's windows on three orientations of the building so that you get not lots of cross circulation and natural ventilation. We designed a courtyard into each uh, unit so that you got light, not just from the south, but from the east and, uh, and the north and, and through this operable window of this common courtyard. Are you getting an image in your head of what this looks like? Sounds pretty beautiful, doesn't it? We worked hard to really make it attractive as a building. So I think it's, you've seen any of the images of the interior, it's quite handsome. We panelized the whole thing. We organized the patterning of the panels. It's spatially interesting architecturally. It's got a double height space. Number one, it's the most beautiful house I've ever lived in. The aesthetic of this house you have to come and visit it. It is so beautiful, I think. There's so much wood, there's such a good vibe here. There's no paint, there's no varnish, there's nothing toxic in this whole house. And it it really means to me that change is possible, that that and we aren't sacrificing beauty. And that's exactly what Cheryl was set out to achieve with this project. Sustainability without sacrificing the aesthetic. She believes the combination of these factors is the key to a more environmentally friendly future. Ecological buildings have had a bit of a bad rap over the years. People thought that there's, you know, there's architecture and then there's the other stuff which worries about energy efficiency. And I think those, these two things have to come together. And I think they are, finally. People are, well, they, they recognize they have to buy uh, uh, houses or uh, live in buildings that are way more energy efficient, but they also want them to be beautiful and uh, enjoyable. It's kind of like the Tesla car, you know, taking, a, you know, EV cars always used to look very, they were a bit quirky and uh, you would be advertising that you cared about the environment by driving one. And now somebody's made a luxury car that looks like uh it's any other luxury car, and it just happens to be really a really well-designed, energy-efficient car. For Kim, the biggest benefit of living in the Zero House is feeling that she's practicing what she preaches. One of the things it's given me is, I think, I put my money where my mouth was. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like that gives me a right to 
to challenge people on their lack of action in climate crisis. So are zero houses the way of the future? Maybe. Who wouldn't want to live in a beautiful home that also happens to be good for the environment and good for the city you live in? Whether we all end up in zero houses or not, Cheryl and her team proved an important point. Prioritizing sustainability in our housing does not mean we have to give up on creating beautiful spaces. In fact, the combination of these two factors might just be the thing that gets more people on board with environmental action and urbanism. And the more people we get on board, the closer we get to slowing the climate crisis, building better cities, and living happier lives. Wrapping up, here's a final word from Cheryl about the university's role in all of this. I think the collaborative spirit that this university um, entrenches in, in, into their core philosophy was, was important to making this happen. And um, the, the, they're certainly advocates for experiential learning, which this was all about as well. So I, I think um, it's, it's a great place to try and do projects like this. And uh, they're difficult to do. <laughs> There's lots of logistical issues and, and they were um, always helpful and enthusiastic about making it happen. So it's, it, it, was, it was great to have uh, that relationship with our campus. This podcast was created for alumni and friends by University Advancement in partnership with City Building Ryerson. Special thanks to our guests on today's episode, Cheryl Atkinson and Kim Harris. This podcast was created by me, Amanda Capito, and Emily Morantz. Both of us are proud graduates from the university. To learn more about Zero Houses and more episodes of this podcast and others, visit ryerson.ca slash alumni slash podcasts.